God is with you. He hears your cries. He sees your distress. He is near to you in your brokenheartedness. He is your refuge and your strength, your ever-present help. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and uh, Jonathan. There are seasons that any believer goes through in life where we feel the presence of God, where we're walking closely with Him and, and we see Him at work in our lives. And then there are seasons where it, it feels like our prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, where it feels like He is at a distance from us and that He is not engaged or cares about our life at all. How does the truth that God is omnipresent, how does that help the person who's struggling when they don't feel the presence of God? Well, I'm so conscious that there could be a number listening today who are feeling exactly as you described, Steve, who are feeling isolated and alone, who feel that perhaps the Lord is far from them. And the message of God's omnipresence says that God is not far from any who would call on him. And for the believer who feels at a distance from God, and that can happen, there can be seasons in life when that's the case. And Sometimes that'll be because of sin, actually, where we're not walking in fellowship with the Lord because we're, we're, we're not walking in faithfulness, and there's repentance needed, but the Lord draws near to those who draw near to him, and, and, and he, is, he is not far away. And then there will be others, maybe, who, who actually don't know the Lord at all, and you feel isolated, alone, and you'd, you'd love to know the Lord and to feel his, his comfort and his care, and again, you can cry out to him through Jesus, and he will draw you near, and he will draw near to you if you come to him by faith. But the Lord is not far from any of us. And what a what a wonderful truth that is, and what a comfort as well. Yeah, well, we're going to continue to look at that in our message today. We continue the omnipresent God. Here is Jonathan. R.C. Sproul writes this on the frightening doctrine of hell, and it is a frightening doctrine. A breath of relief is usually heard when someone declares, Hell is a symbol for the separation from God. To be separated from God for eternity is no great threat to the impenitent person. The ungodly want nothing more than to be separated from God. Their problem in hell will not be separation from God. It will be the presence of God that will torment them. The Puritan Stephen Charnock, who wrote a great tome on the attributes of God, he summarized the dynamics of the presence of God in different places in this way. God is in heaven in regard of the manifestation of his glory, in hell by the expression of his justice, in earth by the discoveries of his wisdom, power, patience, and compassion, in his people by the monuments of his grace, and in all in regard of his substance. He fills hell with his severity, heaven with his glory, his people with his grace. Well, that's a lot to take in, I think. But that's the great truth that we're considering. God is fully present everywhere in his universe, truly omnipresent, but he's present in different situations in different ways. Well, that's the the big picture, but let's take it down now to the practical level. How does our doctrine of the omnipresence of God impact our thinking and our living? Well, a number of points here. In the first place, God's omnipresence, it comforts us in our trials. There's hardly anything worse than being alone, than feeling abandoned, 
I mean, we all value solitude sometimes, some of us maybe more than others, but to be really isolated without friends, company, companions, helpers, it's a terrifying thing. We're social creatures, God made us that way. We're created for relationship. That's why, by the way, solitary confinement as a punishment is a particularly agonizing thing and particularly to be feared. Those who spend months or even years in solitary confinement inevitably feel something of their humanity slipping away and being sapped. In a recent report on the practice of solitary confinement in the state of Virginia, the Washington Post comments in this way, people who enter solitary confinement healthy are prone to come out disturbed. Those with mental illness are at high risk of getting much worse. Human beings are social animals or social beings, we might prefer to say. Interaction with other people is not a luxury. It is a mental health requirement. Being truly alone, it's a dreadful thing for us. But whether locked in a cell or not, there are occasions in life, there are those times of trial where we can feel terribly isolated for one reason or another. And many will know something of that experience in a time of deep trial. But for those who know and love the Lord Jesus, we have the assurance that His presence is always with us, not in some general or abstract sense, not in the broad sense that we believe in the doctrine of omnipresence in some kind of vague way, but in the specific sense that He is with us to minister His grace to us, to help us, to comfort us, to uphold us. I think one of my favorite verses of Scripture is Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, Second Chronicles 16, 9, which the old King James Version actually captures particularly well. It says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Isn't that a wonderful verse? For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. His eyes, they go to and fro throughout the whole earth, just looking for opportunities to show himself strong on the behalf of his people, those who love him, those who are devoted to him. What an amazing thought. What a comfort. As we feel weak, as we're at risk, as we're in situations of trial, God is actively looking out for opportunities to show his strength. I think the Samaritan's Purse team scouring the landscape in Ottawa, seeing how they might help. I think it's a wonderful little picture of the kindness of God. You imagine the Coast Guard scouring the coastal waters after a storm, looking for those in distress, looking for opportunities to help looking for opportunities to save. The Lord is scouring the face of the earth, as it were, just looking for opportunities to show himself strong on the behalf of his people. We may feel alone. You may feel terribly alone today. But if you belong to the Lord Jesus, you're never alone. He's always there, ready to minister his grace. In Psalm 34, verse 17, the psalmist says that the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 46 and verse 1. 
God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Some here will be walking through some pretty dark valleys and some very deep trials at the present time. And you may be feeling terribly isolated, very alone. It may seem that other people have actually abandoned you in your distress. It may be that those who, who want to help, who are seeking to help, just cannot meet you in this trial because the, the sadness and the distress, it is simply too deep and they cannot reach you in it. It may be that someone you trusted has failed you, has let you down. It may seem that there's now no one to whom you can turn. And for you, if any of that sounds familiar, and I guess it will for some, the simple but profound comfort is this. God is with you. He hears your cries. He sees your distress. He is near to you in your brokenheartedness. He is your refuge and your strength, your ever-present help. Reflecting on this wonderful truth, A.W. Tozer writes this, the certainty that God is always near us, present in all parts of His world, closer to us than our thoughts, should maintain us in a state of high moral happiness most of the time. But not all the time. It would be less than honest to promise every believer continual jubilee and less than realistic to expect it. As a child may cry out in pain even when sheltered in its mother's arms, so a Christian may sometimes know what it is to suffer even in the conscious presence of God. But all will be well. In a world like this, tears have their therapeutic effects. The healing balm distilled from the garments of the unfolding presence cures our ills before they become fatal. The knowledge that we are never alone calms the troubled sea of our lives and speaks peace to our souls. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called The Omnipresent God, part of our series, Who is Like Our God? And if you ever miss a broadcast, come and listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. While you're there, you can check out our weekly e-devotional and our newsletter. You'll also find links there to social media and our YouTube channel. And the YouTube channel is a great way to not only listen to, but watch Jonathan's teaching. And if you like and subscribe, you'll be up to date anytime we post some new content on there. Well, speaking of content, how well do you know the content and some of the big theological words of the Bible? In the book, Key Bible Concepts, authors David Gooding and John Lennox provide succinct explanations of the basic vocabulary of the Christian thought. They also unlock the Bible's meaning and its significance for us today. And we'd love to send you a copy of this book, Key Bible Concepts, as our way of saying thank you for your financial support this month. You can give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call us at 1-833-998-7884. That's 1-833-99-TRUTH or EncounterTheTruth.org. Back to the message. Here's Jonathan. The truth that God is omnipresent, it encourages us in our trials. It also serves to chasten us in our sin. Proverbs 15 and verse 3 tells us that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Not only does God see the good things that happen in the world, the lovely things, the pleasant things, He sees what the wicked are doing as well. He, he sees it all. 
He sees the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts so that everything is laid bare before him, as Hebrews 4 tells us. There's nothing that he doesn't see. And so when we're walking in rebellion, as we're living in disobedience, when perhaps we do things that we would prefer that no one else saw, the basic and sobering truth is this, God is there. God sees it. God is watching. Stephen Charnick again observes that men will commit in the presence of God what they would be afraid or ashamed to do before the eye of man. I haven't been able to verify if this story is true, but for a long time, the legend has circulated that author Arthur Conan Doyle once sent a a prank telegram to 12 leading figures in British society in his day. The telegram was unsigned, but it simply read, flee, all is revealed. He was a bit of a prankster, evidently. As the legend goes, within 24 hours, all 12 had left the country. (laughs) Of course, none of us would want our sin put on display. Sin flourishes in the darkness. We would be rightly ashamed to have every thought and every deed seen and known by others. But the simple fact of the matter is that God always sees. He knows thoroughly and completely. Now, I guess many of us would readily acknowledge the truth of this. If there is a God who is truly God, he must see everything. But I wonder, just wonder, whether we really take that reality seriously enough. I think that if we really thought about it and really believed it, this truth would be a tremendous motivation for us to flee sin, to turn from it. I mean, how shameful, how embarrassing to think that God sees, that God knows, that He reads our hearts. And it may be that you today are engaged in patterns of behavior, perhaps secret behavior, that you would be terribly ashamed for friends or family or brothers or sisters here at church to see, to know about, to be aware of. But just remember, God sees. God knows. The omnipresent God, he's always there. For the believer, I think that that truth chastens us and I think it should chasten us. But for others, you you may think that you're really managing to keep God at a kind of distance. Maybe you're managing to outrun Him in your life. Maybe you're actively fleeing the Lord even today. You believe that He exists, so yes, you acknowledge that. You know that He has a call on your life. You may sense that He is not pleased by the way in which you are living, but you're simply hoping that you can kind of keep Him at arm's length. But here again is the reality. You're never going to outrun the God of the universe, the omnipresent one. Thomas Watson writes that this reality is sad to the wicked, the omnipresence of God. It's sad to the wicked. God is their enemy, and they cannot escape him nor flee from him, for he is everywhere present. They are never out of his eye nor out of his reach. Just a few days ago, we passed a quarter century since the famous white Bronco chase where American football star O.J. Simpson tried in vain to outrun the police who were pursuing him, you may remember, for murder. The footage, it was broadcast all over the world. Many will remember watching it. It was a totally hopeless exercise. 
helicopters they were watching from above, broadcasting this to the world. Police were pursuing from behind. No doubt troopers were gathering further ahead. But he tried to run. He made a valiant effort. Maybe he thought he could run. But it was ridiculous, even absurd. Many will fool themselves thinking that they can escape God's claim on their life, that they can ultimately escape the demands of his justice, but the idea, it is absurd. And so the obvious question is this, if you are running away from the all-present God, if you're running away, why not run to him instead? Isn't that the obvious thing to do? Why not find the gracious welcome that he will give you through the Lord Jesus who died for you? He opens his arms to all those who will turn from rebellion, who repent of sin, who come to him in faith. Would you do that even today? The omnipresence of God, it comforts us in trial, it chastises us in sin, and next it enables us for our mission. It's an awful thing to be sent out to do a job without proper support and the help that you need, to be sent out ill-equipped. I gather that the new radio system that the Ottawa police have just been given to use is proving just a little bit troublesome. Police officers in the room can set me straight on that. Apparently, reception can be pretty bad, and officers report being unable to make contact with base in potentially very dangerous situations could, of course, be totally disastrous to get into a dangerous situation and be unable to call for backup, to suddenly be isolated when you most need support. Only a handful here will ever be sent out into the community in the name of law and order, but all of us who follow the Lord Jesus are sent out into the world in his name. And that can be a daunting thing. We can find ourselves in immensely challenging situations as we serve. But the Word tells us that when we go out in the name of the Lord Jesus to do His work and to proclaim His Word, He never sends us out alone. Moses discovered that truth in his day when the Lord commissioned him to go to Pharaoh for his people to be set free. And Moses says, who am I that I should go? Who am I to do this? This is the most powerful man in the world, and you're sending me to him to say, let these hundreds of thousands of valuable slaves go free. And what's the Lord's response? Exodus 3 and verse 12. It's as simple as it is sufficient. I will be with you. That's all he needed. And it was sufficient. Now zoom forward many centuries from the Old Covenant to the New. Matthew 28 and the Great Commission before Jesus returns to heaven, he gives to his disciples, he gives to the church our marching orders for our very great mission. Verse 18 of Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. It's a tall order, isn't it? I mean, the world very often doesn't want to hear, doesn't very much appreciate being called to obey. In our contemporary culture, living out this commission, it can bring embarrassment, charges of narrow-mindedness and so on. In other parts of the world, proclaiming the word of Jesus, it can lead to imprisonment, even death. And we're not naturally very good at it. We don't know what to say. We don't have the courage we need. Our own personal witness is often so unimpressive. Who are we to go? Who are we to speak? 
But how does Jesus finish that great commission? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Finally, and very briefly as we close, the promise of the presence of God, it fills us with hope for the future. For the Christian believer, it is, I think, our central hope that we will be with the Lord in the life to come, with Him in a way that we have not yet experienced, but in a way that will bring us fullness of joy. The psalmist in Psalm 24 and verse 4 expresses this longing, the longing of every true child of God. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. If we know the Lord and we love the Lord, we want to be with Him. And the great hope of the gospel, the great promise of the Scriptures is that we will indeed be with Him. We will dwell in His house we will gaze upon the beauty of His holiness. We, we have the Spirit living within us even now. We have access to the Father through the Son, but there is a greater reality yet to come, a fuller experience of the presence of God. That's what we read of at the end of the Scriptures in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now, that is the very heart of the Christian hope. We will experience the presence of this omnipresent God in a richer and a fuller way in a day to come. We will experience the blessing and the joy of His presence in a way that we haven't yet known. And that's why, of course, that the final prayer of the Bible at the end of Revelation 22 is simply this. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. A very dear friend wrote to me this week. He's been going through a terrible time of trial, time of disappointment, a time of sadness, a dark valley. And he gave me an update on this sad situation, and I, I wasn't glad to read it. And he finished his message, having shared all this bad news, by simply saying this, Come, Lord Jesus, come. We want him to come. We want to be with him in the midst of the sadness and the griefs of this life, of which there are many. Isn't that ultimately the hope that sustains us, that keeps us going? that one day we're going to see our Savior face to face, and in that day, all will be truly well. The presence of the all-present God. For us who believe, it is our longing. It is our hope. It is our joy. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths as we wrap up this message, The Omnipresent God. And maybe you want to go back and listen to this broadcast again or any of the previous broadcasts in our series, Who is Like Our God. You can always do that by coming to our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported broadcast. We're able to be here on the station because of your generosity. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book that you've picked out, Jonathan. It's called Key Bible Concepts. And why have you picked out this book? 
Well, this book is designed to help us grapple with some key vocabulary that we encounter when we study the Bible and we talk about the Christian faith. Words like sin, faith, holiness, justification, words that we'll use on the program here, but words that we may use but not fully understand. And you may find yourself, as you listen to Bible teaching, thinking, I, I really don't have a good understanding of some of this you know, Christian vocabulary, which seems to be pretty important. Well, this book is designed to give you a grounding in some key ideas, some key concepts, some key vocabulary that's foundational to the Christian faith. I think it's going to be a tremendous help for your own personal growth, your own personal study, and we'd love to get it into your hands. Well, we'd love to send you a copy for your gift of any amount this month. You can find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884. And again, the website is EncounterTheTruth.org. For producer Mark Brenna and our Bible teacher Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.